0: You're listening to Soul Work with San, where we journey through the needed conversations that will help us live, lead, and love better in this life. I'm your host San, and I must admit, I'm a little nervous to do this episode today. But at the same time, I'm deeply aware that I can't not do it. So my first commitment is that I won't use a double negative again. And my next commitment is that this episode, while it may be uncomfortable, it is worth the work. Today, We're talking about Pharisees, who they were, and how that mindset still may be in all of us. And then we're going to discuss why I believe the Pharisaical gospel is just as bad, if not worse, than the prosperity one. Ooh, you ready? Let's work. Who were the Pharisees, son? I'm so glad you asked. They were the highly influential religious and oftentimes political group of the day, widely considered to be the most accurate interpreters of the law. The Pharisees maintained an influence that was almost unshakable during that time. See, Luke 18:9 describes the mindset of a Pharisee perfectly. Jesus is talking to a group of people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down on everyone. That, my friends, is the definition of a Pharisee. And at certain points in history, even the high priests of the time believed that if they gained the approval of the Pharisees, this would grant them favor with God. Now already we see what's wrong with this picture, so let's just run right into it. Whoa, could I be a Pharisee? Now the definition I just gave sounds a little harsh and could never apply to us, right? But nobody starts off as a believer and desires to be a Pharisee. The process of being a modern day Pharisee starts just like most falls do, little by little. A little comparison here, a little pride and spiritual competence there. Like, did you hear the way I prayed? Did you notice that extra double R when I was speaking in tongues? A little deeper understanding of the scriptures for good measure. Throw in a dash of the holiness uniform. Sprinkle a little, you can't sit with us, filthy one. Add in potential title ascendancy, you know. Started from the bottom, now we're the super arch chief founding prelate. Add in a whole lot of church activity. And what do you get? The dangerous concoction known as Pharisee. Now, it's not outright in its edginess. It's a lot more subtle than that. It will sooner point out the dangers of that prosperity gospel over there, promising you stuff over Jesus, while failing to point out that over here in Phariseeville, who even needs Jesus if we can be righteous through our own conduct and dress code? But Matthew 23, ooh Matthew 23, gives us an exact detail of what a Pharisee is. Next up, how to know if I'm a Pharisee, according to Matthew 23. I'm going to just hit this list real quick, fam. Don't argue with me. These are the red letters in the book. You ready? Number one, if you crave righteous works being seen... You know, like the person that gives food or money to the homeless, but make sure that it's on the camera for the gram later, you may be a Pharisee. If overworking and performance is our friend, might be a Pharisee. If we value money over souls, if our priority is rigor and duty and being right over love and mercy, might be a Pharisee, fam. If you create barriers to the entrance of this great gospel, getting into the hearts of people, you know, oh, we've got to do this first. You have to be this first. You have to get clean before coming to the cleanser. You might be a Pharisee, baby. If your longest best spoken prayers are in public and not in your closet, might be a Pharisee. Here's my last one. If you're obsessed with status Appearances and clothing, and I'ma just I gotta park it here. I gotta take this. Give me a second. Jesus didn't die for your clothes. And you wanna know how I know this? Because if it mattered to him, he would have said so. Because everything that mattered to God, he made sure Jesus said it. Now listen, I'm in no way saying to let loose and wear it tight. Peter and Paul both describe the importance of modesty and acting like we have common sense. However, what I'm saying and really what I'm asking is why are we still using clothing as an indication of someone else's sanctification? There's a hundred things we don't know that contribute to people's wardrobe choices. And there's a thousand more important things we can be focused on than what Tyshina decided to wear to church today. We would get so much further. If we just loved people through sanctification and stopped shaming them out of it. Because here's the thing, this uniformity that we desperately cling to can become an idol real quick. Everything must look, talk, walk, and sound like what pleases an organization or a group of people or even just one person. And none of that is required in the process of spreading the gospel. And I'm going to just be even more real. Can I get a little deeper with this one? Oftentimes, we want things to look like us and be like us so that we can find value in us. But it's still indicative of self-worship, and this will always get in the way of biblical unity that Jesus tells us to have. So in short, unity over uniformity. I don't need to look like you to still be a part of you. And now that we've got that checklist out the way, let's keep digging a little deeper. What's so bad about these Pharisees anyway, son? Like, you say you're a recovering one. What's the point? I'm so glad y'all asking these questions. See, before I get to them Pharisees, though, I want to start with the scandal of the gospel. You want to know what makes the gospel so scandalous that even those who have it sometimes get frustrated by it? Here it is. Anybody at any time can cry out for mercy from the one who is rich in it and receive it. Now, if you're getting stuck at the language here because of the Calvinistic or Armenian approach, kindly argue with your mom. I'm not interested in having that discussion today. We'll do that on another podcast episode, I promise. But here's the thing. Jesus seeks out the very wealthy and very hated Zacchaeus and offers him and his house salvation. There's a woman who's had her menstrual cycle for over 12 years. She creeps up on Jesus, touches him. He honors her faith by healing her. He restores dignity back to the woman at the well, and he gives blind Bartimaeus his sight again. See, Jesus gets to do anything with anyone at any time because he's God like that. But see, with the Pharisees, they have a different agenda. The goal is to load you down with burdens, tying the weight to an identity with hopes that it keeps you bound. So then you end up too dirty for Jesus, too broken. Too gay, too black, too white, too patriotic, too indifferent, too poor, too wealthy, too stupid, too intelligent, too big, too small, too ugly, too beautiful, too feminine, too manly, too confident, too anxious. As you can see, I can go on and on. But see, that's the thing with Jesus. He pursues all of us beyond, not because of whatever we choose to identify with. The father loves the prodigal and the bitter older brother. He comes for the striver and the sloth. He says to both Martha, the overachieving workaholic, and Mary, the focused worshiper, there's room at the cross for both of you. You will simply never find this type of love from a Pharisee. Because the Pharisee uses guilt as the guide to growth and shame as a substitute for sanctification. The Pharisee piles on. Higher heights and deeper depths, completely ignoring that sometimes, like Paul admonishes, it's best to live a quiet life and mind your business. But no, 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 not for the Pharisee. You see, it's never enough. So more rules, and to that, more rules, and another protocol, and another dress code, and another guilt trip, and another public embarrassment to make an example in front of the others, and another meeting, another service, and another ministry, add another performance. Because, see, the Pharisee has decided that working like hell will keep them out of it, not realizing that with all their grandeur, busyness, and fake righteousness, they are blazing the trail leading directly to it. Because their hope is in what they can do, not in Jesus Christ. And fam, that is not the gospel. But I'm not done yet. You want to know the worst thing about being a Pharisee? This was the thing that grabbed me the most. Behind all of that religion and rule abiding, secretly, sneakily hiding behind those great declarations of duty and obedience and work and performance, lies a soul completely unsatisfied with Jesus. Oh, you don't believe me? Check Luke 15. Jesus is actually responding to Pharisees who are tight that he's, gasp, welcoming and eating with those sinners. So what does he do? He responds to them by sharing three parables. He gets to the last one, which is probably the most popular parable of all time, the prodigal son. Now we know the story and perhaps we've had our own personal prodigal moment at some time in our life. But look at the end of the story. Here's where it gets juicy for me. When the kid comes home and the father calls for this great, huge bashment or party, (laughs) who is big mad? That's right the brother who was with the father the entire time, doing what, you say? Obeying commands and, as he called it, slaving for his father. Now, here's the problem that's hitting me. What kid in a loving, healthy relationship slaves for their father? Could it be that his perception of this relationship was the problem from the beginning? See, a relationship with Jesus is an invitation to be a joint heir with him. It makes us children of God and we'll miss out on the benefit of having him as a father if we only view him as slave master. Was I bought with a price? Sure. But how come that's the only place where we want to keep our theology? How come we're more comfortable slaving than enjoying that we have him, we can rest in him, and we will always be his child no matter what? See, in this journey of detoxing, it is time to shed that narrow view of how we see God. Remember, I said it earlier, the God you see is the God you get. And God is not crouched over you waiting to smite you because you messed up again. In fact, Paul lets us know that while we were in sin, he died. Now, listen, I'm not touching that today because I'm getting happy already. But the point remains, we would heal thoroughly grow authentically, and live generously if we ever truly knew that it is love, not control. It is love, not force. It is love, not punishment. That is the entire point of the gospel. I'm not saying those elements may not exist. I'm saying they're not the point of the gospel. I'm leaving my closing thoughts here. How we believe God loves us is how we will love people, period. So if I find myself constantly criticizing people's efforts, always making myself the standard, living morally for the likes, but light on the mercy, it's because that's how I think God loves me. Heavy on the shame, light on the love. Now, if that's you and you like it, you are free to continue in this belief. But see, for me, I had to get out of that because I've seen the grave damage it has caused to countless souls. I've heard the stories of women who had to keep skirts in their car so they could be appropriately dressed for evening service, or of young people who were told to sit in the back because they weren't dressed appropriate on a Sunday morning. I've heard stories of other young people who were told not to go to college or invest their money because Jesus is coming back any day now. And I've seen the carnage of people wrestling with internal struggles And when seeking advice or help, they were told to come to more services and love Jesus harder. But they end up exhausted and resentful, not transformed. Is this what he died for? See, maybe this is what Jesus meant when he said to the same Pharisees that under their governance, a proselyte or new babe in Christ ends up twice as bad as they are. Now, hear me with healthy ears. I'm not saying that you cannot have a preference. We all have one, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when we begin to place priority of preference over what's actually found in the book, when we begin to focus on the things that Jesus is not focused on, we're entering a spiritual danger zone. Because here's the thing, we can have love or we can have the law, but we cannot have both because having both is not only deceptive, it is not the gospel. Let's go a step further. The idea that God would use 2020 to shake up and tear down institutions and systems that have oppressed his people for so long and not directly address the foolishness occurring in his house, it's vanity. Do you know how many folk have turned away or been turned away from this great gospel because of their interaction with the Pharisee? That's the reason why I'm even doing this episode because it baffles me and breaks my heart to know that so many millennials and others are turning away from the Jesus who loves them, all because his people won't. It's prideful at best to think that reducing this love-led, grace-filled relationship to a checklist of do's and don'ts will not be dismantled by him personally. In other words, he's coming after it. Every chance he got, he warned the Pharisees of how diametrically opposed their way of living was to what he offers. And that's not all. Jesus died not just for your duty, but so that you can enter a love relationship with him. The duty will come, but it will only remain if I operate from a place of love and not for it. And if that truth pisses you off because you'd rather earn or dare I say, serve your way to the top, baby, use a Pharisee but see, there's hope. There are people right now that are on the edge of walking away from Jesus because of their encounter with other people. And that's heartbreaking. See, here's the thing that hit me once in prayer. I kept going and saying, God, why is it that so many are leaving? And the thing that I left with was, it's not that people are leaving Jesus as much as they're leaving people. So if we in the church are becoming problematic and not reflecting Jesus, what are we going to do about that? Me personally, I refuse to participate in this pharisaical mindset any longer. It's a false gospel and it's killing people. It's got to stop. My prayer for us this week is that the Lord cause his word to be a mirror and a hammer to our hearts. That those of us with the pharisaical mindset will humble ourselves and turn back to the lover of our souls. And may the one who has no clue of this love confess, repent, and enter into the rest of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Because you're free now. You do not have to walk in that shame anymore. And don't let anybody make you. Now we did get heavy today, but take heart, fam. If you leave this podcast filled with the love of Jesus, then my work here today is done. Now, we've examined this dangerous and deceptive problem known as the Pharisaical gospel. That's what I call it. Next week, we're going to discuss how to get out of it. Cue Paul and Nicodemus. There is so much hope coming. Stay tuned. Here's my question. We discussed the pharisaical mindset. We talked about its dangers and where it comes from and all of that. And we also talked about how we can hide behind what we do and never increase in who we are. So the question is, what personal soul work is avoided when I hide behind what I do? Fam, thank you for letting me be with you today. If this brought you any value, I'd be so honored if you'd subscribe to the show for more soul hitting episodes delivered freely to your device each week. Check out our website, soulworkwithsan.com, for more thoughts. We're on Facebook and IG at soulworkwithsan. And I'd love to hear from you, so email me at hello at soulworkwithsan.com. That's hello at soulworkwithsan.com. Now remember, You're only going to hear one of two statements on that fateful day. Well done or depart from me. Let's live accordingly. Love you. Talk soon.